0: And uh, tonight I'm going to talk to you about my story, uh, who I am, where I came from. Uh, many years back, uh, I was discipling. a guy, I was spending time with a law student um, who was from a pretty rough background and uh, he had come to know Christ and God was changing his life. And one day I met him at the law school and uh, there was something wrong with him, he just wasn't, he eh, just off, you know, he was just kind of gripey and, you know. I said, hey, you know, what's wrong? And he said, well, you wouldn't understand. He said, you know, you 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 grew up in a Christian home and you would not understand uh, what I'm talking about. I said, whoa, wait a minute. That's not true. I said, but he didn't know that about me. And a lot of times we don't know about people. We don't know where they've come from and what God has done in their life. Also, uh, one of my relatives uh, was saying to my wife, you know, John's just goody good. He doesn't understand what real life's like. And my wife said, hmm, you don't know John. And as I've worked with students, I've found that about every 18 months, I really need to kind of tell them who I am. Because you guys get this lofty view of us. The enemy begins to whisper to you that they're not like you. That is not true. And so tonight I'm going to share my story with you. Everybody has a story. And I'm going to share my story with you tonight. Uh, if you got your Bible with you, I'd like you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm really excited to be here. That's really cool to be with you guys. Um, I love college students and. Um, this is where God has placed my heart. This is where my heart is. First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26, says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. And what he's saying is here, think of what you were like, the situation you were in when Jesus called you. You don't want to forget those things. One of the things that uh, the Lord criticizes the Israelites for was forgetting. They forgot. And that brought about a lot of complaining and griping and moaning and groaning. And so we're encouraged here. It says, the Lord says through Paul to us, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, but some are. Some are smarty pants. And that's not bad. I didn't happen to be one of those. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. And some of you were, but most of you weren't. Now catch this. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. Not because you were so smart, it's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. Who has become for us wisdom from God? That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Now, as I um, tell you my story, I have no desire to dishonor my parents in any way, but I am going to tell you uh, where I came from and uh, what God has done in my life. I did not grow up in a Christian home, I didn't know what that was. Um, I never went to camp. I never went on a mission trip until seminary. Um, I went to VBS once, as I can recall. I got a little pin for going to VBS. I brought another guy with me. And uh, I wasn't mad at God. My family wasn't mad at God. He just was not on our radar screen at all. Not a part of anything <coughs> that we did. The first memory that I have is my mother telling me this. She said, John, you're not going to be successful in life because you've got the wrong dad. Now, when you think of, now, now, go with me on this. When you think of an Italian from Chicago, what do you think of? You can talk to me. What's, come on. What? The mafia. Pizza. What? Gelato. gelato. I'm not even, I'm not really sure what gelato is. I can't quite figure out. Is that a cross between yogurt and ice cream or? Italian. I, it's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the best I could tell you don't go to Italians for desserts. Some of their desserts are. Anyway, moving along. Um, yeah, look, none of you said. Scientists, lawyers, doctors, you know, mafia, and pizza. Gelato is a new one. I've never gotten that one before. I'll keep that in mind. And so, you know, when you're, you know, uh, forget about it. You know, um, my dad is a full blood Italian. He's prototypical. Short, low to the ground, <laughs> stocky, powerful. You don't mess with this, man. And uh, so my mother says, you're not going to be successful. You got the wrong dad. And then she said, you're, uh, you're from the wrong town. Well, I grew up in what's called Chicago Land. OK. Uh, that's the whole Chicago metropolitan area. If you go up there, everything is Chicagoland, this is that and I grew up in Chicagoland. I did, the north side suburbs are where all the nice people live. The south side is where bad, bad Leroy Brown lives. <laughs> I went to junior high with him. <laughs> and Joliet is eh, not the... Have you ever seen the blues Brothers? Remember Jake and Elwood? Yeah, Joliet, Jake, it's a relative. And uh, Elwood actually is a little town outside of Joliet. So if you haven't seen the movie, yeah, it'd be worth a, worth a view. Um, Rudy, actually. Remember Rudy? Rudy's from Joliet. That's what Joliet looks like. I think I ran around with Rudy when I was a little kid. But Rudy's only about this big, and a little bitty dude. I met him recently. He's a little dude. And uh, so I'm going say you're from the wrong town, and I said you're from the wrong side of the wrong town. Well, my hometown is split by a river. There's a river that runs through my hometown. River runs through it, so to speak. And um, <laughs> but it's not that pretty. And uh, all of the people who are considered to be the haves live on the west side, and all the people who are considered to be the have-nots live on the east side. When there's trouble on the east side, the city puts the bridges up so we don't get over there. See, my mom, when she married my dad, she thought my dad was going to be somebody that he wasn't. My dad was happy to live on the east side. And I remember my mother, you're going to laugh at this, but I remember my mother wanted us to have a Buick. Now, I know now that's not really a status symbol. But at one time, it was, and my dad said, we are Chevrolet people. And that's it. And my mother really wanted more, um, and my dad just decided to, he just was happy doing what he was doing. Uh, He uh, worked in a factory his whole life. He never missed a day. Uh, And that's kind of who he was. Now, my dad was very controlling. He's always checking up on where my mom was. But there was good reason for that, as you'll see soon. But this is the first memory that I have. So I went out and honored that memory by flunking second grade. That was back when you actually could flunk, and, uh, and I did. Uh, me and five other guys from my neighborhood, you can tell what kind of neighborhood I grew up in, we all flunked. And that's something that kind of stays with you. You know, you laugh about it. But for years, that dogged me, even after I had my graduate degree. That thing still dogged me, that I was a flunky, that I was a failure. The home that I grew up in was, I mean, there, it was just a crazy place. People yelling and screaming and hollering and hitting. and uh, My mom and dad hated each other. Along with the first memory that I had, when my mother said, you're not going to be successful. She said, John, I don't love your dad. And you know, that's a terrible thing to hear from your mother or from your father about your mother. It does something to you. She said, I don't love your dad, and the only reason I'm staying with him is because of you. And when you leave, I'm going to leave. Ratchet up the pressure there a little bit. And so my mom and dad disagreed about everything. If one of them said it was the temperature was nice in here the other one said no it isn't. And a lot of conflict all the time between them. My dad worked shift work so he usually went to work right before my mother got home and that was always the best thing. If they were both home at the same time the best place to be was not at home. You catch me? Because they just and my dad, now some people talk about, you know, man, I remember when I do something wrong, my dad'd say, go out, cut a switch in the back, son. Or get the belt. My dad wasn't like that at all. My dad's like one of those dogs that doesn't bark. If you did something wrong, you got it. Right then, no questions asked. He just picked me up and whew, and then he's just likely to kiss me on the lips. Very volatile. Very volatile person. And my mother was very volatile as well. And she used to beat on me as a kid. And uh, in fact, a few years ago, she apologized to me. She said, I I hated your dad and I took it out on you. And one time when my, I I think I was 11, my dad was choking my mom. My mom didn't know when to shut up she would push my dad, and push him, and push him. Shut up, Jean. You know, she used to be, K-k-k-k-k-k-k-k. shut up, Gene. And then all of a sudden, bam. And she'd shut up for about, oh, till her nip, so she felt her lips again, and then she would get after him again. And uh, he was choking her, and I jumped on his back, and he dropped her. I couldn't have stopped him. My dad, he's, I'm not built like him at all. He's a burly, short guy. And uh, so this is kind of the situation out now, now playing in the background in this the whole time is I have thrust myself into sports because I, you got to do something with your life. And I hated being a part of my family. I wanted to be a part of the Lency family, which were Italian relatives of mine. Now, they were the ones who had all the money. We, we never had enough money. There was always fights about money, struggles about that. She'd spend some money, he'd get mad, throw a fit, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so they were always struggling with money and I had some cousins who were taking trips across the country. They had a convertible. Now, they were my rich relatives. My uncle's name is Orlando Lundin Lincey. And he was a bookie. Do you know what a bookie is? He works with the mafia. Somebody say that? And this was before the government got into all the gambling. You know, my, my uncle said, you know, I mean, they opened up horse racing, betting things at the mall. And he said, an honest man can't make a living anymore. <laughs> You'll get that after a while. Um, and he was a bookie. He had a, uh, and it was illegal. And he had a hardware store as a front. Uh, he never sold much hardware, but he always had a lot of guys hanging around. I thought that was interesting. And I mean, he had the, te- this was before cell phones, he had the special telephone in the, in the cabinet with all the, the stuff. And um, so he had all the money. Man, I just wanted so bad to be in his family. His son, when he grew up, he gave him a Corvette. I mean, we're talking, ooh, I liked all that. And my dad used to actually be involved. Oh, well, let me stay with my uncle for a minute. He, uh, Now, my hometown, this is the kind of classy place this is. He, uh, whenever the city is supposed to clean up things periodically, the police would call him and say, hey, Lentz, we're coming, put your stuff away. Because they all made their bets there. Now, one day, he took a bet from a Fed and almost went to prison. In fact, he was threatened that if he ever was in the court again, he'd go to prison. So, you know what he did? He went back and started his business again. So, anyway, my dad used to uh, be involved in um, taking football cards, which were betting cards, about this size, they're called parlay cards, to taverns in town. He'd drop them off on Mondays, pick them up on Thursdays. People could circle the teams that they had to, you know, the spreads didn't used to be in the paper. And guys would put their money with it, they'd bet on teams, and. We, I'd go with my dad maybe and pick up the cards, and we'd have a freezer full of money, and the next morning it'd all be gone. That's how we had Christmas. In the midst of all of this, and you know, you don't, wait, wait, you, you don't think about, oh my gosh, I got to get away from this, because that's all you know. That's all you know, and you know, one thing I knew is that my parents loved me, and uh, even though. Things were like they were. I never, I never felt like they didn't really love me. Well, in the meantime, you know, sort of playing in the background, I got involved in sports. I had to throw myself into something because it wasn't in academics, all right? Remember? I remember when I brought home straight C's one year. I thought it was pretty exciting. My parents weren't really excited about that, as I recall. I think it was eighth grade. And uh, I didn't try at all because when I tried, I had failed. So when you fail, you just don't try. So I just kind of, you know, I never, I never read a book, a whole book, a school book through high school. I didn't do homework. I'll get to that in a minute. And uh, so anyway, I, I played a lot of different kinds of sports, but basketball was kind of my, the one that I enjoyed the best. Can't you tell by looking at me? I'm just a little too short and got the wrong dad and the wrong mom, you know? And, uh, but I I played basketball all the time. And growing up in Chicago, it's cold. And and one of the reasons I played basketball is because basketball was the king. Football was not. Uh, If you catch a football in Chicago on a winter evening, that's like catching a brick being (laughs) thrown at you. Why do you think all the Big Ten schools play in the afternoon? There's a reason for that. And, and besides... Basketball was, that, that he, man, you could impress the girls. Now, I don't know that the girls were impressed at all, but all of us guys thought they would be. It's just one of those confusing things. Come to my workshop and we'll talk about that. <laughs> and so playing basketball was the thing I wanted to do more than anything else. I played all the time. I practiced, I'd shovel the driveway of the snow and play in the gloves and coat and did everything I could to become a good basketball player because I had a goal in life I only had one goal in life and my goal was to was to play in the state finals at the University of Illinois Assembly Hall state finals because state finals run statewide television and from the time I was a little kid I watched those things religiously every year when they came on. You had to get to the final eight and when when I was a student we didn't have uh, different levels of school everybody played everybody. So uh, we played one school, that had 7,200 kids in a high school. They might end up playing a school with 200 kids. So everybody played, everybody says one championship. It was a big deal to me and that was my goal. I was going to make that. That is what I was aiming for. And as life rolled along and I continued, you know, to play and everything, got into high school, um, you know, I'm, I'm a mediocre student. I'm going nowhere fast. But there's always been this talk about going to college. So I always, always put next to my name, yearbook college prep, whatever that meant. No one in my family had ever gone to college. Nobody knew what that would take. Nobody knew what that was like. But I was told I was going to go. Well, I uh, made the team my freshman year, did OK, you know. Made the team my sophomore year, started. Did really pretty good. And, um, I remember at the last game, the varsity coach came over to me and said, Strapazon, I like the way you play. There's a place on the team for you next year. And then he went out and had a heart attack. Then we had some guy come in. And he goes, Strapazon, I don't know nothing about you. Great. So I'm starting over. And uh, so what did I do my first, my junior year? Because of a stupid accident, on a uh, sandlot field playing football. I hurt my knee and then I finished tearing it up in, high, in junior, as a junior in high school and I had to have major knee surgery. And back then they didn't have arthroscopes. They just had cut it open and remove everything that's injured. And then good luck with that. They put you in a bed for a week with a half cast and you didn't walk. And when you got up, it was bad. And you just tried to, so they, they didn't, And so I'd lost my junior year, okay? Well, while this was happening, um, something else was going on in my life. I had gotten into a class, an English class, and I remember the first day the teacher said, I'm going to treat this class like it's a college class. And I'm thinking, oh, no. And this guy actually expected us to do the homework. He checked it. What's up with that? I mean, and he was very hard on us. And I thought this was a disaster. And I got to get, you know, and in high school, I don't know where you went to high school. Where I went to high school, you couldn't drop classes. That was your schedule. You know, for better or for worse, that was it. And um, so uh, I had this teacher. And at the first term, when our grades are getting ready to go out, he he... Uh, Takes one of the days in the class, and he starts, and he has us all come up to the desk individually so he can show us our grade. And I'm thinking, oh, come on, man. Just send the grade home. I'll deal with the parents, but don't make me face you with this deal. Well, I go up there, and he says, John, uh, I gave you a C. I thought, all right. I don't know how that happened, but all right. And uh, let me back up. And the reason it was like that was because my life was really about four things. Sports, rock and roll, drag racing, and girls. Not necessarily in that order. Every weekend, the Catholic schools were really good about having dances where we could meet people. I started going to dances when I was 11. I mean, I was all right, you know what I'm saying. The whole thing was about the bus ride, not the one to the. Actually, we roller skated. It wasn't about the ride to the roller skating rink. It was about the ride home from the roller skating rink. And uh, I've another little side story I'll tell you, just for fun. This one's just free. Uh, <laughs> my dad back then, you know, you got a you got a pair of shoes you wore to school. Now I I didn't walk up hill both ways to school. Okay, but. <laughs> And I remember talking my dad into buying me a pair of beetle boots. Now, I didn't have a lot of higher functioning going on in my brain. Because I knew that at the school I was at, they had made a rule that if you wore beetle boots to school, you would be sent home and you would never be able to wear them again. Now, remember what I told you my dad was like? Well, I talk him into, you know, are you sure you wear these to school? Oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so I wear these. <laughs> one day a kid squeals on me, you know. I mean, I had my pants over them. The kid squeals. You know, beetle boots had heels on them about like that. And they were cool, remember? And they are going, right. Uh, <laughs> I've seen some of the stuff you think is cool, so. Um, so... <laughs> Anyway, they sent me home said, don't wear these anymore. So now I have to face the wrath of Khan. <laughs> and I don't know. You know, when you're, I was a pretty dumb kid, were you? I mean, you know, ladies, what you need to know is, guys, I'm sorry about this, but most guys really don't have a fully functioning brain <laughs> until they're about 26. <laughs> All we've really got is a flashing bulb on the top of our spinal column. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, so now my dad's got to buy me another pair of shoes and I don't remember. I think I blocked what he did to me. So what I would do is I'd wear those boots to the skating rink. <laughs> we well, have to take your shoes off to put your skates on. And one night I lost one of them. And I was really more upset about the fact that I didn't get to ride home on the bus than I'd lost the boots. See, I was, there was not a lot of far-out thinking on my part, and um, it's like the time that I thought it would be fun to wear one of my dad's rings to high school. And my dad's fingers, you know, are all bigger than my thumb. So I put this thing, and it's rolling around, you know, and it had a a knight's head on it. It was black onyx with this knight's head. What we used to do when we walk home from school, we'd pass several taverns, we'd stop in and buy a Coke or something, and then we'd get (laughs) like I said, I wasn't functioning with a full deck at the time. And we thought it would be we always thought after we'd finished drinking it, we'd get to the this creek. And we, th- we thought it was cool to throw our bottles into the creek and break them on the rocks. Don't get ahead of me. So I get to the creek, and there goes the ring. So I'm down there trying to, f- I never found it. I said to the boys, this is it. I'll never see you again. <laughs> Life fish, I've known it, it's now over. A couple of days later, I told my dad, and to my shock, he went, that's okay, just don't do it again. I'm like, the aliens have abducted my father. What's the matter with this picture? Well, anyway, getting back to this other, this one, wanted you have a true setup of, you know, the, the real upstanding guy I was at the time. So this teacher says to me, he says, I gave you a C. And I'm pretty excited about that. But then he says, but he said, you earned a D. And he said, but John, you can do B work. But if you earn a D next term, you're going to get a D. And a funny thing happened. I'd never had anybody believe in me before. You know, I wasn't the kid in the class most likely to fail. I was just invisible. When you're older than the rest of the kids, I always knew that. Dragging that thing behind me. And nobody had ever really believed in me before. My parents loved me, but they didn't. They never expressed any belief in me. And something changed in me. I began to try. I never tried really before then. And I began to try. And I began to, to look around. And uh, all the guys that I'd grown up with, that we were listening to rock and roll and going to drag races, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but if that's what your life's about, there's a problem. The guys I grew up with, they, they, they weren't going anywhere fast with their life. They didn't want to make anything of their life. They made fun of people who made good grades and were actually trying to do some things. I began to try to hang out with some people who were going for it. Because all of a sudden I wanted to try. Well, you could, you, I, what do you think my old friends thought of that? the ones I grew up with them. But this teacher had believed in me and it began a process of me changing. Well, senior year rolls around and he ends up being the, uh, I, I get into the journalism class, I end up, he, this teacher, ends up being the uh, advisor for the school newspaper and I end up being the sports editor. And Brett, I had a, at the top of my, co- I had a column That said John's View, and it had a little outhouse at the top of it. So uh, (laughs) we thought that was pretty, anyway. uh, So I I try out for basketball because, remember, my my main goal in my life is to play Assembly Hall. I mean, I had this figured out, man. University of Illinois Statewide Championship. I want it, and my goal was to be on that floor playing for the Joliet Central Steelman. Well, tryouts are, you know, going well. And um, the last night of of tryouts, I'm walking down the hall after tryouts and uh, the coach says, "Stravazon, come in here. (laughs) It's kind of funny because he told one of my friends, Christopher, stay out there. Very sensitive. He needed a little bit of sensitivity training. And so I I went in his office, he shut the door, and he said, you're going to make the team. I'm like, all right. And he said, but but you're not going to start. Usually as a senior, you don't make the team if you don't start. But But we had a guy on our team it, it, he just was called Roger. Because Roger was a six foot three sophomore shooting guard who grew to be six foot five and had a full ride scholarship to Kansas. I mean he was good. And I was behind him. And I'm five eleven on a good day, and <laughs> not real fast, but um, is but you're gonna play behind Roger. But who knows? And I was like, that's cool. That's great, I'm going to make the team. Because all I, really want, all I wanted to do was have my chance. Well, the next night I went out and broke my hand in practice. Oh, a stupid drill he had us doing. And the guy who broke my hand made the team in my place. And you know what happened that year? We had a really good year. And I sat in the stands at the University of Illinois, Assembly Hall, and watched my team play the state championships and watched the kid play who broke my hand, incidentally. And really, everybody was offered a scholarship of some sort either to a junior college or a major school off the team. Well, I wasn't on the team anymore. After my hand mended, the coach wouldn't let me back on the team. And 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 poof, it's all gone, man. This is it. The whole goal of my life, you know, I didn't really think that far ahead. And, uh, it was over for me. And, but again, playing in the background. This teacher, we used to go over to his house. He was a young guy, single guy. We used to go over to his house, put the paper together. You know, we'd, we'd have snacks and Cokes and have a fun time and just mess around, put the paper together. And, um... He had a friend come up from college and I began to think it would be fun to go out of state for school. And so I went and visited. He said, he, and I, I began to show interest in the school he went to and he said, well, you know, if you're really interested, he said, I'm going to be going home for a couple of weeks, you could go with me. And so he and I and another kid, we drove down there and um, his parents uh, asked me if I wanted to live with them and go to college. See, my parents didn't have the money to do that. And so uh, I liked the school, so I thought, well, okay. So I moved, so they opened, they didn't know me from anybody. Let me tell you something, I'm just going to, looking at this over here, they widened their world to bring me in. They didn't know me, they just were going on their son's recommendation. And they offered me a place to live. They gave me a car to drive. They fed me. They bought me clothes. It was pretty incredible. But something I learned about them right off the bat was they were church-going Christians. (laughs) Oh, no. I'd been to church. I didn't want to be part of that deal. You know, my parents would get a wild hair every now and then. Christmas you're in there working with your toys and they go we're gonna go to church I'm like what I just got, or Easter I just got my basket now we're going to church I mean a happy time is gonna become a terrible time and oh I played basketball for a church I had to show up every Sunday in order to be qualified to play basketball for them I'd sit in the back fool around and then leave I hated church that was the longest hour anywhere possible. And so I thought, if they'll stay away from me, I'll stay away from them. They went to church a lot. And I didn't go to church. I, see, I saw them as a church-going Christians. I was the non-church-going Christian. Because I thought everybody in the United States was a Christian. I wasn't mad at God. Never thought about him. I wasn't mad at him. So I lived with these people for several months. They've been really nice to me. And I found, I thought, you know, I want to do something nice for them. What could I do? And I found one Saturday night, I found some words coming out of my mouth that I thought would never come out of my mouth. And I remember saying to them, you know, I'd like to go to church with you tomorrow. And I went, oh, no. (laughs) What have I done? So I mended it quick to Sunday school. Because Sunday school, you might get a glass of juice, donut, you can fool around. That worship service, no, thank you. And they didn't care because they didn't ask me to go anyway. So I showed up at church that day and I went in. The people were nice enough. I did get a glass of juice and a donut. (laughs) And I was leaving the church service. I mean, Sunday school. And guys, when, when God pulls up alongside your life, supernatural things happen. So I'm leaving the church and I noticed this church is huge, got a huge auditorium. The auditorium's like four stories high, seats thousands of people, you know, and I'm like, i would never seen anything like that. Because see, where I grew up, the churches I went to were real little. Now, the Catholic churches were real big, but the Protestant churches were real little. And I thought there was only two flavors of this deal. And I knew that I was Protestant because my parents used to get in fights with my relatives, and then we'd have to go home. I mean, I'm playing with the kids, you know? We're going home over this. Now, so I'd never seen one like this. So for some reason, I think I need to see this, and I walk in, and they close the doors and start the service. (laughs) And I could have left, because they don't lock the doors, although when I'm preaching, I'd like to sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, I think it should be like a ride at Disneyland. you got to stay on for the whole deal, you know? It's unlocked when it's done. But um, i tell you what. Some folks, if Jesus was going to show up at 1205, they're leaving. So anyway, that's another story. But anyway, um, so I sit down, and I don't remember anything that the preacher said. But two things happened that were very key that changed my life. And the first one was this, that I, I realized Jesus was a real person. And I had never, ever thought about that. I'd seen the greatest story ever told. I cried when they crucified Jesus. But hey, it wasn't real. And I realized Jesus was a real person, and that, had, that thought had never entered my mind. And then shortly thereafter, Jesus spoke to me. And when Jesus speaks to you, you don't have to ask who that is, you know. It wasn't me. And he said this to me. and Guys, I was in in college. I was 1,200 miles away from home. Home was not a happy place, but it was my home. It's all that I knew. The people I lived with, let me back up and tell you this. My house was a crazy house. People yelling and screaming and things, you know. And these people... (coughs) were very quiet, they never yelled, they never raised their voice. And in fact, on Saturdays when I would sleep in, the lady would run the vacuum up and down the hallway and bang it into my door because she thought I should be awake. And I thought, lady, you didn't get me. And she tried to put a curfew on me. I never had a curfew in high school. One day, i was going to give you this for fun. I come in one night. This is, well, I come in one night, and she told me I had to be home by midnight, and I thought, uh-uh. Who are you? you know, and uh, she's persistent and tough. Well, I come in, and I come bebopping in, I don't know, maybe about two. She's sitting at the dining room table reading her Bible. <laughs> and I'm just cracking up because I'm like, Oh, come on. One night I ran out of gas. I pushed a car home six blocks, a real car, a 63 Chevy, because I didn't want to call them. But getting back to the more serious part here. Have have I lost you? Are you still with me? Oh, I got a lot of stories, but I won't tell you them all. (laughs) I might, but... um, So anyway, Jesus said, if you'll give your life to me, you'll find what you're looking for. Well, the goal of my life had phew, was gone. I was in college. Thought I wanted to be a broadcaster of some sort. But kind of floundering, you know. And so come to the end of the service, and this guy says, if you want to give your life to Jesus or make a decision, come on down front. Well, I'd been through stuff like that before. But I went down the front. I remember the guy said... Uh, What's what's going on today? And I'm like, man, I don't know, but I need to give my life to Jesus. And I did that day. And my life has never been the same. I really changed a whole lot. Now, there was a lot more to sanctify, but I changed a whole lot right then. All of a sudden, I was like, I'm somebody. The God in the the universe knows me, and I know him. I count. I count. I matter. I remember sitting there thinking, I count. I matter now. And you know, I've had a lot of ups and downs and struggles. But that really took that day. And you know, I've wondered about that. I thought, how could that happen? I didn't know anything. I'd never read anything in the Bible. I never had any, heard any sermons that I paid attention to. I didn't know Genesis from the maps but yet by simple faith I gave my life to Jesus. Some people are really involved in exact words now. I'm sure I didn't say the right words but I meant it in my heart and God honored that. And I began a journey with Jesus that day as a college freshman. I remember I called up my mom and she was like, oh, I wish I could have done that for you. She was my dad was like, great, any, anything you want. And uh, So I, you know, they said you need to be baptized. Okay. You ought to get involved in this Christian. Okay. And I was just like, I had been lost for 19 years. I saw what was on that side. I'd felt the emptiness, the loneliness, the 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 anguish of all of that. One of the things that confused me the most was kids who claim to be Christians trying to act like lost people. I'm like, dude, there's nothing over there. And I wanted the things of God. And so I got involved and began to grow some. And then came time to go home for the first time since I'd become a Christian. And I was thinking, Jesus, go with me. I don't know if you're going to be there or not. He wasn't there before. So I didn't know. I mean, I was... I was raw, man. I had no background. And uh, so I'm flying. I flew home and get in the car. My mom's sitting behind me and my sister's sitting next to her. I'm sitting in the front seat with my dad. And do you remember, when I, at the beginning, what my mother told me when I was my first memory that I had? John, I don't love your dad. The only reason I'm staying with him is because of you. And when you leave, I'm going to leave. Well, we're rocking along and I'm talking. And a a new confidence has come into my life. I'm beginning to enjoy being who I am. Where before, I hated myself. I hated everything about myself. I hated how I looked, how I sounded, my name, everything. And now there's a new sense of acceptance in my life. And so I'm just talking about all the things we're going to do and everything. And my dad goes, are you going to tell him or am I? That's a really close uh, representation of how my dad talked. It was always at one volume. And, uh, and my mom says, uh, she says, John, your dad doesn't live with us anymore. She did it. She was a woman of her word. And my dad turns to me and he says, you got a round trip ticket you got a life in Texas. You don't have one here. I'll take you back to the airport right now and put you on the plane because you don't have a life here. Welcome home. Nothing has changed. And I remember going, nah, let's just go on home. I spent the rest of the time with my parents counting the minutes that I spent with the other one. And uh, God's timing was incredible in my life. I don't know what would have happened to me if I hadn't come to know Jesus before that happened. My life, my parents were divorced many years before that, but still living together And now, that was gone. And my mother said to me, she said, John, she said, there's a lot of good schools around here. Why don't you come up here and come back home? And to my mom's credit, I said to her, I said, Mom, I really like where I go to school. I like the people, I want to stay there. And she said, okay. She let me go. Because so if she had said, no, I would have stayed. And it, God's timing was incredible in my life. Now, you know, I wondered about, and let, me, let me tell you something I, that I didn't tell you. No one ever witnessed to me. No one ever shared a track with me. No one ever shared a Bible verse with me. No one ever told me I needed to know Jesus or how to know Jesus. No one ever talked to me. I never saw anything. So how in the world did I come to faith? Well, actually, my wife found out many years later. Because the people I was living with, very humble people. My daughter calls them grandma and grandpa. They're like parents to me. My wife found out that when I was living with them, they were in a prayer group praying for me. And God answered their prayers. I would just say to you, who are you praying for? Sometimes we, we really discount the power of prayer and the power of them widening their world to allow me to come into their world. And I wasn't from a different, totally different culture, but I was pretty different than those folks. You know what I'm talking about? They all talked real slow. I didn't know words had that many syllables. (laughs) For the first three weeks, I didn't understand anything anybody said. Huh? And then they come up to me and say, would you just talk? (laughs) What? And they laughed at me for the way I talked. I talked like you're supposed to. but. um, And, uh, you know, guys, as we talk about widening my world and narrowing my focus, they widened their world to take in somebody they didn't know. How was little Johnny Strap is on nobody from nowhere. And I want to leave you with this. If God can use my life, he can use anybody's life. First Corinthians, second Corinthians four, seven says, for we have this treasure in jars of clay so that this all, all surpassing power will see, be seen as from God and not as from ourselves. You see, God loves Like the verse we read before, God loves to take what I say is old peanut butter jars and wash them up and make crystal goblets out of them. You see, because when God takes a guy like me, there's no question as to whether I did this myself. It has to be God. I remember when I got the job in the college ministry that I became a Christian in. One of the ladies who'd been working in it for 30 years, her daughter was in it with me. <laughs> she said, Now, who did you guys hire to be the, the leader of the ministry? And John Strapazon. She went, John Strapazon? She was shocked. But if God can use me, guys, He can use anybody. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that uh, what I've said tonight in some way would be an encouragement to those who are here, an encouragement about their lives, that their life is not uh, defined by where they've come from or who they've been, but their life's defined by you. Not where they've been, but where they're going with you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is really true that if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And oh God, I pray and I'm grateful for you rescuing me. And for what you've done in my life. But You deserve all the glory and all the praise. And again, Lord, I pray that you would set those free in this room who are carrying the burden of divorced families or Uh, ridicule, failure, or that you would help them to get an eye full of you and know that uh, the things that are impossible with man, all things are possible with you. Lord, I want to thank you for the tailors who widened their world to let a lost (laughs) guy with harsh, crazy, come into their home and love me and pray for me. And you use them to change my life forever. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And before I close, guys, When you come to faith in Jesus, it isn't just for you. God is wanting to reach through your life to other people. You see, after I came to Christ, my sister gave her life to Christ. My dad, my dad was a broken man. He was a proud man until my mother divorced him. He came to Christ. My mother came to Christ. God wants to reach through your life. And as you trust him, God's going to reach through your life to touch all kinds of people. And the fact of my coming to Jesus that day changed the legacy for my daughter, Lindsay. She has a different life because her daddy knows Jesus. And she would have had it if her daddy was the person he was before. That you, as you trust Jesus, everything coming behind you could be changed. The total trajectory of their lives will be changed. That's how powerful God is. I've got some people in my life who haven't come to Christ, but they've had some great chances. So, I just want to encourage you with that. Thanks.